0: Welcome to the Sky Society podcast, the place where dream careers come true. I'm your host, founder, and CEO of Sky Society, Natalie Peters. Prepare for smiles, tears, surprises, and epic takeaways. This podcast is for the ambitious woman who wants it all and wants it real. We're diving deep with relatable and dreamy guests who are showing you what actually matters when it comes to starting and accelerating your career so you can make your dream job your real job let's make it happen. Welcome back to another episode of the Sky Society podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be chatting with Melissa Kahn-Blackmore. She is the founder and a career strategist for project management success. Welcome, Melissa.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. Excited to be here chatting with you.
0: Thank you for coming on. Melissa is an extra special guest because her entire focus of her career is all about helping people build their own careers. So we're going to be able to dive into a lot of really specific topics and answer a lot of questions around resumes job searching what the job market is looking like and building a or building your career so we have so much actionable stuff to jump in and talk about I am so excited to get into all of it but before we do Melissa can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: Yeah, yeah, awesome. So I'm Melissa Con Blackmore. So I live in the Tampa Bay area in Florida, and I am a project manager and career strategist. And I've done a lot of amazing things, both in my professional career and as a business. Business owner. So, throughout my career, I've worked across many different industries, so healthcare organizations, tech, veterinary care, healthcare nonprofits, education, and within those industries, I've managed really diverse projects and programs across the world, as well as directly managing staff and project teams. And about a year ago, I officially launched my company, Project Management Success. And I know your audience is made up of a lot of current and aspiring marketers. And one of the things that really inspired me to move from corporate to take the leap to become a business owner was the work that I did managing marketing projects for a startup. So within that startup, I built their SEO, I ran paid ads, I managed all of the marketing campaigns, and I e- even oversaw their like graphics and content creation while simultaneously managing the employees and overseeing operations. Oh my and, gosh, a lot. <laughs> I know, it's a lot. I've done so much in my career and like I talk about how I'm really specialized in project management, but I've, I've really dabbled in just a lot of things. But doing that uh, for the startup gave me this perspective of if I can do it for a company from scratch, like help a a company, like start up the business and run all of the marketing. I can do this for my own business. So that perspective kind of pushed me in the direction of starting project management success, which is my project management. So education and career strategy business. And I've been, I've, so like I said, it's been, it's honestly been less than a year since I started the socials for the company. And in that, time, I have, have built my social media to over 60,000 followers across TikTok and Instagram, which oh is gosh. honestly so cra- crazy. Congratulations. It's crazy to me because, thank you. Thank you. I was so resistant to posting on social media for so long. I just thought it was like, I do know I, cause I come from like the business world and corporate and I'm like, I'm not going to sit around making silly videos. Like it felt cringy to me. And I didn't believe see the, like and understand the power of it. So I'm really happy that I decided to take that leap because my business most of my clients and the 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 workshops that I do, the speaking events I get invited to, the podcasts that I get invited to are because of my social media. So, so glad I took that leap. And in general, just to wrap it all up, because I know you t- <laughs> told me to, t- to talk a little bit about myself and I kind of went on a t- tangent, but long story short, I spent a lot of my career as a uh, project and program manager, and now I spend... Uh, Half my time as an enterprise program manager for one of Microsoft's tech startups, and then the other half of my time is dedicated to my business and helping people learn about project management, grow as project managers, and secure uh, careers that they're passionate about.
0: Amazing. I love that example that you shared there of that you were doing so much work at a startup and you were helping them grow. And then you were like, wait, if I'm doing it for them, then I could absolutely do it for me. It's super yeah. similar reason of like why I ended up like going into entrepreneurship as well. And I think maybe a lot of people will kind of realize that like, as you go into, you know, the corporate world that you, you know, you're helping someone else build their business. And right. And if, if you can do that for someone else, you could absolutely do it for yourself as well.
1: Yeah, I completely agreed. And you know, I think entrepreneurship is not necessarily for everyone, but I think like, for me, the further I went in my career and the more I learned about myself and what I was good at, I was able to take that and tweak it into building a business that was specific to my skills. Yeah. Amazing. So Melissa, you mentioned that
0: you've been like working in project management for a while. Obviously now you have your whole business now where you were dedicated to helping other people build their careers. What like made you decide that, that like, that this is what you wanted to do or kind of when did you become passionate about becoming a career strategist?
1: Yeah. So throughout my career, I've always mentored people either that have reported up to me or colleagues or people that just work in the same company. Like I just, for, or even, or even like friends and family, like, It's just something that I've always been doing and it comes really naturally to me. And I realized over time that I'm really good at it. I'm good at giving advice. I'm good at solving people's problems specifically as it pertains to career, you know, their career problems and also figuring out more effective and efficient ways to help them produce at work, stand out at work, make more money and just be better at their jobs. And so that in kind of in relationship with the fact that i did see a gap in the market like i don't feel from what i've seen especially like for me I, you know i'm in my 30s and growing up i didn't really see a lot of like indian female ceos like women of color like career coaches or career strategists and even now i think that there's just like there's a need for that because people want to get advice from people who look like them like people like for me i notice a lot of my followers are like Hispanic women, Indian women, Black women, you know, women of, of different ethnic backgrounds. And they look, you know, they look up to you and they're like, oh, she looks like me. If, if she can do it, I can do it. And I want to be, I've always kind of, you know, I've needed that. So I wanted to become that for people who are maybe younger or who, who need that, that that like inspiration or that, you know, kind of mentorship. So that in addition, also with the fact that I've dealt with a lot of just being a woman in the workplace, I've dealt with a lot of, you know, like gender inequality, like workplace harassment, being paid unfairly, just all of the things that come with being a woman in the workplace. And so I want to want it to be a voice and share kind of like how I overcome that. And if you look at a lot of my social media posts, I talk a little a, a lot about like women and like how we like just the, the challenges that we go through at work. And so all of those things kind of packaged together drive me to do the work that I'm doing.
0: That's beautiful. I love that, Melissa. And especially what you said there about being that representation for, you know, having, I mean, I did it specifically for, for women, right? Because I felt very similar (laughs) to you of like, wow, there's no women, like all my mentors are men. (laughs) Like no one, no one really gets that, but you're taking it to the next level of also representing um, women of different ethnicities and being to say like, hey, like, you know, it's, and even what you mentioned there of going through unique challenges that you face as a woman, No one ever prepares you for that in school. There isn't a class that you necessarily take. That's like, okay, when you go into the workplace, you may have to fight harder for more salary, or you may have to deal with men hitting on you in the office and navigating how to deal when someone higher up is making advances on you or all of the different things being spoken over in meetings or, you know, not giving equal opportunity. And I did not believe any of those, you know, you hear about those things. Oh, then, you know, that's not going to happen to me. And then yeah. until it happens to you. And then you realize, like, damn, like, this is an actual real thing I have to deal with in my career.
1: Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that you, you brought that up about like not realizing how real it was until you were put in that situation. And I think like, it's so swept under the rug. It's so still taboo to talk about. Like I have men on my social media that comment all the time. This like, why are you only targeting women? Like there's no, like people really don't believe it. Like they really don't see the, like the gravity of the situation. Gender inequality at work is a serious issue. And like, It's it's crazy that that I think specifically a lot of men don't realize it. And I think a lot of women also don't realize it until it happens to them. So, yeah, it it is like it's it's also I feel like
0: oftentimes in the gray of different situations of like, am I crazy if I bring that up this up? (laughs) Is Is this all in my head? Like I know specifically for me, I think I've shared this story on the podcast, but like my first internship back in college, when I applied to it, it said it was a paid position. I got it. And then I was told that it wasn't actually paid. And, you know, they always say, oh, women don't get paid. They don't get as much salary because they don't ask for it. But like I asked, I tried to negotiate. I was told it was an unpaid internship. I took it anyway for the experience. Same time I got hired another college kid got hired. He was a guy. I assumed we both weren't getting paid. Cause we both got the job at the same time. We were both in college. Yeah. Like later, do I find out he's getting a salary and I'm not like, and in my, in, in me in my head, like telling myself, Oh, like, I'm sure it's the same. I'm sure like, they're not yeah. paying everybody. And that was my very first, you know, one of my experiences that Len, you know, followed by, unfortunately, several more following in my career.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. And that's just, yeah. I have a almost identical situation, but except when I was an analyst and the the other analyst that got hired he actually like shared because we, we i ended up like training him for a long time and anyway it's a long story but yeah i've similar situations and it's 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 like what is the what is the one reason if we look identical and you're getting paid double or more or i'm not getting paid at all and you are like what is the one differentiating factor like but in our head sometimes we're like no, it's in my head, like maybe because he has something else or maybe because like we try to validate it. And like, I want women to know that it's OK to say, hey, this this discrepancy, this inequality is because I'm a woman like it needs to be more spoken up about and we need to normalize like talking about it, because if we don't, it's just going to get swept, swept under the rug and get worse. Yeah. Well,
0: amazing motivation, inspiration for you to now build the platform that you have today. Um, and so I'm excited to jump into a lot of different uh, aspects around my like, career. So I'm um, just to give you guys an overview. We're going to jump into talking. We're going to cover some resume stuff again, some job market stuff. And then we'll end, maybe we'll circle back to this kind of like career discussion on, on how to keep moving forward and and really build your career with intention. So we'll start with resumes. This is probably one question that I get asked all the time that I feel like there's even a lot of ambiguity on TikTok. I'm sure you're creating content on TikTok about resumes. I've created content. Emily, yeah. There's a lot of conflicting information. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I'll address, I can address that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, if you, well, I was going to ask maybe if, well, first i was going to ask what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make on the resumes so you want to touch on that and then also touch on like why there is yeah. all such a yeah yeah you yeah. you go for it
1: <laughs> yeah sorry i got too excited <laughs> i love so, it yes there is so much conflicting information on tiktok like and people like i've had a i have had so many resume tiktoks go viral to like the millions and people get so hated and angry in the comments and the thing to remember, and this is going to hit both of your questions, what, so the, what, are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that we see people make and like the, just the, the climate around like conflicting information. So the thing that people need to remember about, about their resumes is your resume is a reflection of you as a unique candidate. There is nobody else like you in the world. There are no two identical candidates, although it may seem like it to us. It, there, it just isn't. It, it just doesn't happen. There's, there's. Everybody's a unique person. So when you create your resume, you need to make sure that everything you put on your resume and everything you do, whether you exclude a graduation date or you put your education on top versus you put your experience on top, or like all of the different conflicting like right. There's so many like rules. The resume should look like this or be like this. No, your resume should ref- should take the best qualities of you and what you are looking to do, like where you want to go and reflect that on your resume. So if I just graduated from college, maybe my internships and my education are more towards the top because that's my more recent stuff. But if I'm 20 years in the workforce, maybe my education is on the very, very bottom. And maybe if I'm, you know, 55 years old, 60 years old, and I'm worried about age bias, because it happens, I remove my grad dates off of my resume. And I don't put any work experience past like 30 years or 20 years or or I just keep on, keep three jobs on there, right? Like those types of things, it's really important to remember that you, your resume needs to show the best parts of you and the best, tell the best story of you. And like, you're trying to impress who, who was ever reading it, who whoever is reading it or the ATS with like, what are your best selling points? And even if you need to get a little bit tricky and tweak job titles to better reflect what you were doing. If you were given a job title that maybe isn't aligning with where you want to go and maybe some of your transferable skills, you can change your job titles. Like there's a lot of different things that you can do with a resume, be very versatile and be, and, and curate it to where you want to go. And so that's why it's really important when you see these things on TikTok and you see these things on Instagram or on LinkedIn that you remember, it's not a hard and fast rule. Some of it is of course, like, you know, using and we'll talk about I, I, I we'll talk about formatting and things like that. Uh, but like there are certain like things that you can do that are like important. Like, you know, doing your work experiencing in reverse chronological order is important. But at the end of the day, like there's no like strict rules that you need to follow for your resume. Like your resume needs to tell the story of you and it needs to tell the story of you in a way that's going to position you to like as the best candidate for the role that you want. So that's what I have to say say about that. And I think also it's it's just important to remember, like don't write your resume to be like, hey, to, to be focused on, hey, these are the things I've done in my past. Write your resume to focus on where you want to go. So that means transferable skills, highlighting things that make you you know a leader if you want to get into a leadership position as opposed to more support role if that's you know where you've been in your past. So that's what I would say. I think biggest mistake is people definitely like think they need to fit into this box and and, and like do a cookie cutter resume. And then I think you know instead of like showing their personal brand and talking about their unique skills and experience. And then also people are creating resumes that are are illustrating their past experiences instead of what do I want how do I take my past experience and curate it and tweak it to really reflect where I want to go I love that so essentially
0: all the so because you're absolutely right I also have seen like Anytime you post a stance on anything, everyone loves to come in and like give their opinion on on all the reasons why it's wrong. One of the the downsides of of the internet and yeah. social media. But I think keeping that that in mind of like picking and choosing what is best for you from like all the advice that you see on social media. One example is like how you order your resume. My niche is women in marketing. For girls that their education is not in marketing and they're trying to get into the marketing industry, we put their education at the bottom because it's not relevant to marketing. But for my students that have MBAs and they're in marketing, we put that up up at yeah. the top and we want to highlight that. And for a girl, someone that doesn't have a ton of experience and they they do want to make a transition, then you know we focus a lot on their skills section and you know maybe certification. So it absolutely like what going back to what you said. It, It's going to depend on what you're looking for, what you're trying to do, and that there's not necessarily like a one-size-fits-all for everybody for resumes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I want to jump into design and format because I feel like this is one of the things that I even, even me, like I see so many different formatting designs for resumes. And I'm curious on what your thoughts are. One is on resumes with columns. So you know, where they'll be like the left column is like the skills and like photos, and they'll have like different columns. So you want to start there. What are your thoughts on columns and resumes?
1: Yeah. So we really have to be cognizant of the fact that most companies these days are using like an applicant tracking system. And the applicant tracking system can, it's a it's a, it's a machine, right? It's like, you know, like you go through like Paycom or like I'm trying to think of the different there's their software, and when you upload your resume, if it has crazy columns, crazy colors, if it's not simple and clean cut, there's you're risking yourself getting your resume like the ATS can't can't really understand it, and it it just it just takes it out of the mix, right? So and there's so many also different ATS systems that it's hard for for like a, a resume writer to say. That one, that format is okay. That format's not okay. So my rule of thumb is no columns. You just use a straight, very, very, very cohesive format where it just flows and you and you just have the headers, the resume formats. Cause I'm also a resume writer. What I do is the resume the template I use has a blue, like for your name and your, your titles and your career profile has like blue background and then a light blue background. And then everything else is just white and black. And it's just very clear. It's neat. It's cohesive. I've, I've had people tell me, Hey, I used this template that has like, that has columns and it doesn't look like a super complicated column or super complicated format. And they're like, I've been using this for six months and I'm not getting any interviews. And they changed the format to my format, which is just again, like very linear. And they're like, Oh, I'm finally, I finally am getting callbacks for interviews. And it's like, and that's why I always tell people like the Canva formats, the, the, you know, unless you're in graphic design or even maybe like marketing, if you're going to give your resume to somebody, like send it to them on LinkedIn or email it to them, then that's okay to use the, the the pretty formats. But I would say stick with just a linear format. You can have some color in there, no graphics. You don't need a headshot unless you're applying to be like an actor or. You know, maybe sales, maybe, but you just you just don't need those things. And it, it confuses the applicant tracking system. And also remember that hiring managers and recruiters on average, there's a study done on this. They spend seven seconds reviewing your resume. And as a hiring manager, I know that's that's true, because when I have a stack of resumes like this, I don't have I don't have a minute to to look at every, you know, I, I'm going through them like this. And so in those second seven seconds, why risk like using a crazy format or like a bunch, you know, like it's just not worth it. Like just use a linear format. And, and of course you want to appeal to the eye as well. So maybe some light, some dark blues or light blues, professional colors. Um, Maybe you could even use like a an, an orange if you wanted to do like a border or a line or something like that, but that's about it. And so that's my, that's my spiel about yeah. it, my formatting. I'm glad you said that Melissa
0: I am on the same page as you but I get a lot of pushback because I again mostly this podcast is for women and marketing yeah a lot of them want to be very creative and colorful with their resumes but I'm always kind of pushing back on doing the linear format keeping it professional if you do want to add color one color two colors max like you can yeah. you know, add a little bit of flair here and there like I'll even I'll let some of the girls you know help them make their we have some Canva templates too but there are that I made that are linear formats, not necessarily okay. the creative design ones. And typically what I say is for your portfolio, there, you go be you very creative and colorful and let your personality shine. But I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that about the columns. Cause I, I see that a ton in our LinkedIn group. A lot of girls post resumes and a lot of the resumes have those different columns. So I'm glad that we covered that there.
1: Yeah. I get a lot of pushback too. People are like, I, but I want like a fancy cause they expect like this, like, a you know. But I will say that we get a lot of compliments from employers. Like if I have um stud- our uh mentees that go to like career fairs and stuff, and they they get a lot of compliments on their resume. And it's very just a clean, normal, or or you know just has a couple colors. So I think like executives, especially like older, you know, executives, they prefer they don't they don't like the 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 pretty looking like columns and things yeah
0: like well you could still make the I think you could still make the format the linear format pretty looking yeah. too like I've seen some girls yeah. do some cute stuff I think the why that linear format is so nice it probably gets comments because it's so much easier to skim when you have yeah. all the columns like your eyes don't know where to go to first uh-huh. where do I start what do I consume and so I think what the, those linear formats do so well and I feel like just so everyone's clear when we say linear on the podcast, it basically just is one column. We're not having multiple yeah. columns yeah. on yeah. the, on the resume is that, yeah, it's so easy to just like go through and skim all the information. Yeah. 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 So then I, so this, I guess tied into that. I want to ask you about applicant tracking systems and resumes. So how often or how prevalent or how like are companies using applicant tracking systems all the time? Should, you know, me as an applicant be very, you know, concerned or aware about applicant tracking systems? And then also like, how do I know if my resume is compatible for applicant tracking systems?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this word is thrown around a lot. Like I see it a lot on TikTok and I see it a lot on social media and I see a lot of people use it in like ways that is just wrong. And so I want to clarify that the applicant tracking system is when you upload your resume, think about like, your ADP or your Paycom, like where you go to do your time cards, it's the same system from the HR like view. And what happens is once you upload, you know, you apply for a job, this software is going to collect, sort, and track the job applications. And so if they get 500 job applications, and they want a project manager that has risk management skills and a little bit of marketing experience, they're going to put in like those criteria. They could also put in things like the state. They could also put in things like keywords that are maybe, they could say they want a candidate that is, you know, aggressively something, something, which is commonly like aggressively, it's like, it's okay for like men to use. Like it's okay to say like, oh, I'm a very aggressive salesperson. But if a woman says I'm a very aggressive salesperson, like we don't like that, right? And that's unfortunately very common. And so the applicant tracking system is going to look for whatever the company puts in. And so sometimes this can lead to, it can lead to And where I'm going with this conversation is like those words that are predominantly male or maybe predominantly female or maybe the area that you live in. It can lead to a lot of unfair advantage or disadvantage for certain groups of people. And so that's, so I I felt like I'm hopefully I'm not like confusing. So, so that's what the applicant tracking system is. And that's why I think that it can be negative because it's not really giving everyone a chance, a fair chance, Right what if I don't have a necessarily like have a specific keyword that they're looking for on my resume, but I do possess that skill? Or what if I have a lot of potential? Or like, there's just so many factors that applicant tracking system can't take into consideration. And so I think that I think it can unfairly impact candidates who don't have the ex- specific things that this, that they put into the, you know, essentially machine or this software. And it can weed out candidates who haven't gone to an Ivy League or, you know, maybe don't have 10 years of experience in a field, but they have a lot of potential. They have a lot of grit. They have a lot of drive. They're motivated, right? And for me as a hiring manager, when I look to hire somebody, I look for those, I look for grit, I look for passion, and I look for somebody who is willing to learn and is willing to grow because those are always the best people, in my opinion, right? You can have 10 years of experience of hired people with 10, 20 years of experience and they just they 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 can't perform as well as the person who has zero experience that would you know, and they have the grit. So I think the applicant tracking system put puts those people at a disadvantage. It's a great way to streamline efficiencies for HR um, and hiring managers and recruiters because they don't have to go through two thousand applications, but it puts great candidates as a, at a disadvantage as well. It's
0: interesting to hear to from yeah from from that perspective because. We all know. So yeah, we all, we've all we all seen ATS, applicant tracking systems. There's some filtering system that companies are using when they get hundreds of applications to help them narrow down their candidate pool. So mm-hmm. knowing this, one of the things that I recommend, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is using... So I used to use, it, or I still do recommend a tool called JobScan. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of JobScan. Yeah, you put your resume in, put the job description in it. will t- It'll tell you the keywords that your resume is lacking from the job description. Now, mm-hmm. a free version is you can use ChatGPT. You can have ChatGPT. You can ask it to do the same thing and basically look at the job description, look at the keywords that are most prevalent, most frequent, and then incorporate mm-hmm. those into your resume. Do you think that is worth your time as an applicant?
1: So... Yes and no. Unfortunately, we're never going to know what the secret recipe is that a company puts into the ATS because they could have a job posting and you match your resume to the job posting. But then in the ATS, they put different words or they put different criteria and It's like trying to chase your tail because you will never know unless you have an in or, you know, somebody at the organization, you will never know what they put into the applicant tracking system because they're not going to put on the job listing. Like you have to have gone to an Ivy league school, but I know companies that are like, we're only going to pull an application that for from someone that's gone to an Ivy league. So it's, you know, I, I, I think, is it worth doing? Yes. I have my, the, so I, I, in my course, the project management career blueprint, I have my students use Teal HQ, which is, it does the same thing as job scan. And, you know, I think it's important to like tweak your resume for the job that you're applying for, but it's, it's really like chasing your tail because you, you, you really don't know what they've put in. It gets you closer. It's better to be closer than to like not try at all, but it's, it's hard to, to hunt, percent like say you're going to hit all of their indicators or all the things that they need what I do recommend and to circumvent that what I recommend that my the the client my clients in my program and my coaching clients do is reach out directly to hiring managers and recruiters and and so
0: have so in the job search when you apply to a job reach out directly to, to the hiring manager at the company
1: so either a hiring manager a recruiter or somebody like for us in my niche it, we, we do a lot of project management so we look for vps of project management pmo which is your like project management organization executive directors of project management people like that that, that are really just decision makers for so for your you know students and, and your clients it would be like head of marketing you know people that are high up that are decision makers and yes and hiring managers and recruiters in the company as well yeah and so finding them
0: on linkedin and reaching chance them on linkedin or what's the best way to approach that
1: so either go to the, like the company website and look at their executive team. Cause sometimes they have, you know, well-established companies typically have like a list of some people on there. So you could find those people and reach out to them. You could also, yes, a lot, we use a lot of LinkedIn. So searching hiring manager at, or going to the company on LinkedIn and then going to people And then looking under there for somebody who has a recruiting title or a hiring manager title. And the messages really can't be like, hey, I'd love to connect. Like it has to be really meaningful and it has to be, you know, I have my uh, clients attach their resumes and really give a pitch that is like somebody's going to want to reply to, right? Because I'm sure you get a ton of messages. Everyone gets a ton of messages on LinkedIn and we don't respond to them all. So it has to be really meaningful. But that's one way that I really recommend people... If you're really serious about your job search or you're serious about a specific company, like reach out and network or even just ask, hey, can we set up a coffee chat? Can I would love to just pick your brain or whatever it is to just get your foot in the door and get a conversation started with that person.
0: Perfect. So that will lead us into kind of us talking more on the job search. So let's say someone has their their application materials dialed in and they are applying to jobs. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see job seekers make? Or what are some of the biggest things you could change? Maybe this following up with people at the company is one of them. But either what are the biggest mistakes you see job seekers make? Or what's like a, you know, a tweak you can make to their, you make to people's like job search process that allows them to be much more effective.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a lot here. Like there's a lot I could say, but I think the some of the top things would be people get really burnt out because they're throwing spaghetti at a wall. Like like, like you're just going in and you're like, I'm just going to apply to this one. I'm going to apply to that one. And they don't have a plan. So a really big mistake that people typically make is they're going in without any direction. They don't really know which job titles 100% they want. They don't really know which companies they want to target. And they're just, they're just throwing spaghetti at a wall. So like you not going in with a to cre- creating a plan and, and saying, these are the industries, these are the job titles, these are my target companies, th- these are the amount of messages I'm going to send, this is the amount of job applications I'm going to do this week. Like having that plan is so important and following that plan, because when you don't do that, it just it's a big mess and you, you don't know where, and like also not tracking where, who you applied, who you reached out to, like all of those things are really critical. And it's a huge mistake that people make because then they're like, I think I applied to like 500 jobs and I haven't got a call back, but they can't tell you what are some of those jobs you, they applied to. Like they don't know the job panels, they don't don't 100% remember the companies. So that's definitely one big mistake. Another one is, during your job search process if you're interviewing and you get an offer and you have another offer or even if you just have one offer it's not negotiating so many people say especially women have this hesitation towards negotiating it's like we feel guilty for asking to get paid for our work and our experience and that's always a mistake because every single one of my clients that i push to negotiate versus the ones the people that I don't negotiate that don't negotiate the ones that are negotiating are always getting a higher something and that could be salary that could be maybe you you negotiate this is something that I negotiate when I start a new job I want a bonus or a pay increase at 30 days at 60 days and at 90 days and people some people think it's absurd they're like no there's no way they would give me that many pay increases if you negotiate you have no idea you have no idea what what you, you'll be able to get if you don't negotiate. I said that backwards. <laughs> so it's really important to negotiate and not feel worried or scared to ask for the things that you want or ask for more money because at the end of the day, it's, mu- it's a mutually beneficial situation. You are getting paid for the work that you are doing for the company and also for your knowledge and your expertise. So feeling guilty for asking for more money is like, feeling guilty for like, for, for asking for like, if, if I, I'm a business owner, I'm not going to, I'm not running a charity. I'm not going to go out and say like, I feel guilty, like charging you to redo your resume. That's, that's the equivalent of not negotiating. It's like, you deserve that money. You deserve more than that money. And they're making to make money from you being there. So you deserve to ask for more money. So that's mistake number two.
0: We're, I'm gonna I'm to add one more thing there is I think yeah. that so much of the fear from that comes around like like will they like me less I think like it was in this like likability aspect to a woman you I feel like I always have reminding woman that you already have the job you have nothing yeah. to lose by asking literally nothing the worst that can happen is they say no like they're yeah. not gonna say nope actually wait you're not hired anymore because you asked for <laughs> more money and if they did you would like you wouldn't want to work there although I've Never ever heard that happening. So you have nothing to lose, and even if it's a dollar, you know, increase or one thousand or five thousand, like even if it may it does not seem that significant, it absolutely matters. And you you're just leaving money on the table by not asking. And the amount of times I even had guests on the podcast say that they got hired and then they realized that there was a range within their salary and they were offered the lower end of the range. And if they just would have asked, they would have got more money. So yeah. it happens all the time. You have, There's nothing, to, literally nothing at all
1: to lose. Mm-hmm. And I actually just posted a video about this. Companies literally expect you to negotiate. And I had a recruiter comments on it and or a, a HR professional comments on it. And she's like, yeah, exactly. We have like a budget. We have a range. Like they expect you to negotiate. And if they really can't afford it, because I, you know, sometimes they, they like, you're already at the cap of their budget or whatever. If they really can't afford it. Then they'll say no. Or you ask to do like, like, like what I said, what I usually do is, okay, in my contract, I want at 30 days, I want this much of an increase at 60 days. I want this much of an increase at 90 days. I want this much of an increase based on my performance. And I know I'm going to perform just like everyone listening should also believe in themselves and know they're going to perform and like get the pay increase that way. Or like there's so many different ways to negotiate. So if they say no, then I mean, what do you have to lose? They're just saying no. And you could even like, figure out like something else, like maybe a sign-on bonus or childcare or whatever. Yeah. Oh, amazing.
0: All right. Any other mistakes that you see job seekers make?
1: The I'll keep this one short. So the yeah. third one would be not following up enough. Like people are just not following, enough enough, following up enough. I've noticed that like they'll feel embarrassed if they have to message a recruiter twice or if the recruiter forgot to get back to them. And the people who are typically following up and are persistent are the people who are getting Going further, so it's just really important to remember to follow up during your job search process. That is such a good one, and I think especially because I feel like
0: people feel that like they're being like naggy or too much. But so many times in my inbox, I will just read something, forget about it, and I love when someone follows mm-hmm. up because I just completely forgot about it. It's never too much to follow up, and also shows that yeah. you're really hungry for the role and that you really want it and that you care. And like even in in marketing and in sales, when we do like outbound email outreach, like the minimum is five emails that they say, like five outbound emails to one person before like they're going to respond. And so definitely don't be, I don't think it's as much when it comes to the job search process, but yeah. I think that's such a good one. Cause I feel like people do, should I follow up with the interview? Should I follow up about the application? Like, like, yes. 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 <laughs> okay. So one of the things that a lot of people struggle with on the job search is feeling burnt out. So maybe after months of applying to A hundred jobs, hundreds of jobs, and not hearing anything back, or getting really far in an interview process for a job you really want, and then getting rejected. Burnout is just a huge, huge thing that job seekers struggle with. Do you have, or what is your kind of biggest advice when it comes to combating burnout?
1: Yeah. So I think that number one, you have to have a plan. Like you have to have some sort of plan that you're following. Because if you're, again, if you're throwing spaghetti at the wall, you're not tracking how much you did. You're not tracking like what you could have improved on. Like, you're not looking at the messages and seeing like, how can I make this better for next time? And you're going in, like, it's it's going to burn you out eventually if you don't have a plan because you're not sure what you're doing, right? You have no end goal. Like if you say, okay, I'm going to apply to 10 jobs a week and I'm going to send 10 messages a week, you're working towards something, right? And eventually if you keep doing iterations of that and improving each time. It's just like being a business owner, right? Your first launch is going to be worse than your second launch. And then each launch from there is going to get better and better, right? Over time, if you stick at something, you're going to get better and better. So for your job search, it's the same exact thing. What you need, what you need to do is follow your plan. If you sent 10 messages last week and no one responded, okay, go back into your messages What can you tweak to get people to want to respond? What's not working? If that message isn't working, use a different message, right? And and then next week, improve on that. If no one's still responding, then maybe you need to start sending sample work samples. Maybe you need to start sending them, you know, a portfolio with a list of your accomplishments or a list of all of your projects. Like, and then if no one's responding after that, maybe you send them an example of your project plan, or I'm speaking very specifically to like some project management deliverables. But like... Anything worth having, like whether it's your job, whether it's your business, whether it's your relationship or whatever, it, you have to work in iterations. You have to figure out, okay, last week I did this, this didn't work. So how do I improve that now and get better results? Because if you're not getting results and you don't have a plan, yeah, you're going to get burnt out. So that's probably what I would say. And then I also think keeping in mind, like burnout comes from also a lot of like negative emotions and feelings so it's important to not look at rejections as negative like you have to really flip your mindset and think of it as okay that wasn't meant for me i'm so glad i i because you have to go through the rejection you have to go through the failure before you get to where you want to be right like if everything was for you if you if, if you got a yes on every single job that that you applied to like you wouldn't really know, it would be really overwhelming and hard to understand which job you should take and also where the universe would put you and where you're supposed to be. So you need to stop looking at rejections as a bad thing. You need to look at rejections as, okay, I learned from this, now I'm gonna get better for the next time and now I get to eliminate this thing that was not meant for me. So that's, that's really important as well. So that's kind of what I would say. I love that one. I just today
0: in our accelerator, we we did this exact workshop where I have women do they. I asked them like, "What does no mean to you?" Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an important question to ask yourself because it often is that like negative talk, right? Oh, I'm not good enough is mm-hmm. what we hear. I got back from job. Oh, I'm I'm not good enough to be mm-hmm. a, a marketer, project manager, whatever. But instead, it's what you said. It's like this wasn't a good fit. This wasn't a match. And there is a match for me. There is a job that I am suited for and that I will find. It's just not this. And then it's more so like crossing the nose off, like, okay, I need to get rejected in order to get a guess. So this is like I'm one step closer. And I mm-hmm. and I think that is so, so critical of really understanding what does no mean to you. And then mm-hmm. if your definition of rejection is personal, if you're taking that personally, then really look at that and really take it, take time to reflect and re redirect what that what that means and that will help you I think in the longevity of your job search of really not taking those projections personally and instead looking them looking at them like just yeah it wasn't a good fit for me I always love dating analogies you can go on a date and if it's a bad date, it's just a bad date. they weren't a good yeah. match for you and it's the same yeah. thing
1: for for jobs yeah I completely agree with you and I think a lot of people also like on that note a lot of people who I think a lot of people in the world like have this desire to like on, for entrepreneurship, but they don't like if they don't realize if you can't take a couple no's or, or hundreds of no's from job, whatever, however many job rejections, if you can't take those no's, there's no way you're going to be able to take the no's that come with entrepreneurship because there's a lot of no's. <laughs> and so like, it's important to remember that it's not just a job, like, like having that like being able to switch your mentality during your job search to better handle those no's is gonna trickle down in through every aspect of your life. And I think that's important for like younger job seekers to understand, especially people who are just starting out and they're trying to apply for the for a job and they're like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Like this is so bad. Like uh, you know, they're taking it very personally. Like it's very important to remember that the way you handle that no is can really like be critical for the way you handle no's throughout life. Like it's it's all kind of flows. Yeah, one of the other things I want to talk
0: to you about is the current state of the job market, which I feel like also plays a role into how your applications are being received. There's times when it's you know easier to get a ton of interviews. There's times when it's a bit harder, and it's honestly changed so much up and down the past two years. It's been insane. We're recording this episode May 2023. What do you think is the assessment of the current job market. What do you think it what do you think it is right now? What do you think it will look like in 2023? What if I'm an active job seeker, you know, where should my head be at?
1: Yeah, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and I I follow the statistics that come out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and that assess the the trends in hiring in, in the labor market. And I can tell you that it's not as bad as like social media and maybe like the, the news that we get online is making it seem. There are still this, I think this number was from last month. There are still almost two jobs open for every one job seeker. I think it's 1.7 jobs per job seeker. And, and that's that's based on unemployment, but based on unemployed people. And obviously not every, not all the unemployed people are not looking for work. So that number becomes much bigger and there's a lot more opportunity than we see that there is. And it's, yes, it's an employer driven market right now. It's definitely not, we're not, we're no longer in the, you know, what was the, that period the of post COVID when everyone laid, yeah. everyone fired everybody and was like, wait, yes. we need you
0: back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, it was when everybody was mass quitting. What was it called? It was a it was a period of time where I don't know why I can't think about it. The not quite quitting, but everybody was like job hopping and like it was a it was employee driven market. Now it's definitely an employer driven market. And there is no more like the, the, the competitiveness is a lot it's just, it's a lot harder, right? It's, it's a lot harder to get a job, but it's not, it really isn't like as bad as like, because I see this stuff on TikTok that's like, everybody's getting fired and the tech industry is in flames. And it, it's really not like, that's not the case. Tech is huge right now. The big firms are laying off. Yes. The big firms, we, we're seeing those trends, but the smaller firms and the tech startups are thriving because tech, again, it's tech is huge. It's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And this is from the, like, this is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I think it was like a CNBC podcast, I want to say, where a specialist was talking about the tech, the growth in tech. There's a lot of opportunity in general in the job market. Yes, we're seeing layoffs. And yes, right now it is an employer driven market. And then in the next, or sorry, in in the next 10 years, there's going to be 8.3 million jobs that are opening slowly. So it's not an awful shape. It's yes, a lot more competitive than it was in you know a couple of years ago, and when there was the the great resignation. That's what it was. Uh. <laughs> yeah, the great resi. It's definitely not the great resignation, right? It's not as easy as to get a job as it was back then, but it's not as bad as everyone's making it out to 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 seem. Okay. Well, that's, some that's some good news. I think for us to hear, cause it
0: is a little bit intimidating hearing about all the layoffs happening. And I definitely uh, notice when it's difficult for sky society girls to get hired and when it's easier for sky society girls to get hired. It's definitely a little bit harder, but I do see girls get hired. It's not like I compare it. I started sky society when COVID started and that was <laughs> the worst yeah. uh, time to get hired. So we're definitely not there, which is good. Yeah, 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 for sure. So what, now that we've kind of talked about resumes, talk about job seeking, the landscape of the job market, one thing that you are also passionate about and an expert in is overcoming imposter syndrome. One of the things that a lot of girls will tell me is like, oh, I really you know, I want this job, but I I just, I don't feel like I'm, I can do it. Like they're scared that they, they that they're, they're not good enough or they won't be able to do it. What advice do you have when it comes to combating imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah. So, so an exercise I have my, my mentees do is writing down proof of the things that you've accomplished because, uh, a part of imposter syndrome and imposter syndrome is a very broad term and there's no real like medical diagnosis for it. It's not like, it just, it's kind of like, you know, well, compared to, I guess I'll compare it to like depression where there's like so many different causes and it's just so complex. Imposter syndrome is very much the same where it's very, very complex. And so, but you know, one of those pieces is, That you feel like you don't have proof that you've accomplished what you've accomplished, or you don't have proof that you can do the job, or you're not good enough, or you don't deserve that job, right? And so, to combat that, you need to put on paper or a notebook or whatever, or a note, you know, a, a Word document, something that's like tangible and that you can see that is going to prove that you have done the things that you needed to do. And you've accomplished a lot to get to where you are. So it's like essentially proof to why your imposter syndrome is wrong. Like why you're not an imposter, because here's the social proof to all the things you've accomplished. So I have my uh, mentees do a chart where they're writing down all of like what their fears are, or like what are their false beliefs about themselves. So for me, like maybe I, I would say you know, who am I, who do I think I am being a business owner? And then on the next column, I'll write, you know, I, I've grew my social media. I have, you know, mentored hundreds of women. I've done, you know, hundreds of resumes, Uh, you know, 80% of my clients uh, get hired within three months. Like, you know, things that are like, undeniable proof, right? And so for for your girls, maybe something, you know, like an example for, for marketers would be, I created an amazing social media campaign that reached, you know, 5,000 people or whatever. Things like that, that are social proof and facts about why you are dispelling this myth that is in your head about why you're an imposter in, in whatever way. So that's one exercise that I think is super important. And you keep that with you like forever because when those thoughts come up, you open it and you say, Go away, thoughts. Here's the proof that I'm a badass. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, no, that's
0: such great advice. It's, it's so funny that we're talking about this today because I, I, li- I, like I said, I just did this like whole class in my accelerator about this, but there's this right. TED talk. You would probably like it. And I encourage listeners to check it out. It's called The Skill of Self-Confidence okay. and by Dr. Ivan Joseph, I think. And he talks about he would write himself a confidence letter. And in the comments letter would say exactly what you're saying. when he would write it of I'm proud of myself for blah, blah blah I'm proud of myself for blah blah like and all the different things that he's proud of himself for. And in okay. moments when he's experiencing self-doubt, he'll go back and, and read that. And I have and I have girls do this all the time. And I think it's so helpful because you, no one is really telling you, like, you know, for example, you listed the accomplishments you've had in your business. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of people that are probably going up for you and saying, good job on doing yeah. that. Like, you know, no one's saying, awesome job, <laughs> Melissa, on reaching this, who they don't know, right? Yeah. And being, they don't understand how much effort you put into it or how hard it was for you. And it can even be things that aren't career related. Like you could be really proud if you came out, you know, I, you know, suffered a depression and I was able to bring myself out of that. And I'm really proud of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be career stuff, but yeah. I think right. it's so important to remind yourself and celebrate
1: those things because not other they, no one else will, right? You got to be able to do that for yourself. That's what I, yeah, that's, that's why I tell my clients, no one, if you don't celebrate you, if you don't pat yourself on the back, if you don't take credit for the things that you've done, no one else is going to, so it's up yeah. to you.
0: Amazing. Oh my gosh, Melissa, we are on time here. I feel like I love your energy for this. And you were getting so excited about all these topics. It was so (laughs) fun. I feel like we could talk resume career, all this stuff forever. But thank you so much again, for sharing all of your incredible wisdom.
1: Where can our audience find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. So either TikTok or Instagram, my Instagram is at Melissa K Blackmore. And my TikTok is at career coach Melissa, or you can add me on LinkedIn, Melissa Con Blackmore amazing and we'll
0: link this in the show notes for the episode but thank you again melissa for coming on the podcast it was so much fun i loved talking about all those topics with you so thank you
1: yeah likewise thank you so much natalie
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join our private LinkedIn group for women in marketing. It's called Sky Society Women in Marketing and you are welcome to join us on LinkedIn. And you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at skysociety.co for more information on all things marketing and career. And I'll see you in the next episode.